Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is Yoga Land. Hi, Jason. Hi, Andrea. How are you? Um, I'm pretty good. Good, yeah. good, good. We did a webinar the other day, and we thought it was so nice we'd do it twice. Yeah, and the topic of the webinar is yoga teacher training as self-transformation. But I also want to put it out there, I was, I was kind of thinking about this for just our general listenership, many of which have done as many trainings as they ever want to do. But I think that this is a really good topic for two reasons, even if you're not considering training, which is number one, I think you can look back on the trainings you've done fondly with our conversation and, and kind of take yourself back to that time and place. When I'm teaching trainings, I often reflect on the very long training that I did with Rodney and company, and it, it takes me to a nice place. It's nice to remember. I think the second thing is so many of the teachers that are listening are probably teaching their own teacher trainings. So these are some things to keep in mind when you're working with a new group. Of course, if you haven't done a training or you want to do more, I would love to have you do them with me. But I really do think that this topic is is really, really good for all sorts of people. Yeah, we. I mean, I think we're doing it again on the podcast because we just actually really enjoyed doing it and felt like it was a good reminder, like you said, of the things that we, I don't know, that we experience when we go deeper into learning about yoga and deeper into the practice. Yeah. So just to put a clear point on things though, before we go any further, you are starting your online 200 hour training cohort on October 24th and it's on sale now. And yes. so if you want to get the details for that program, you can go to learn.jasonyoga.com slash 200. We're in the early bird window until September 17th. So from now until September 17th, it's $300 off. So yeah. go check it out. And as always, if you have questions, send them to support at Jason Yoga and, and we'll get back to you right away. When we did the webinar on this, we didn't read the Joel Kramer quote that I had pulled out. We did acknowledge that in 1980, there was this really seminal article called Yoga as Self-Transformation written by Joel Kramer in Yoga Journal. And there's just this one little poll quote that I think we could, that I'm going to read before we start to talk about the, the really specific ways in which yoga teacher training can be so transformative. But he writes, quote, at its core, yoga is a process that involves confronting your limits and transcending them. It is a psychophysical approach to life and self-understanding that can be creatively adapted to the needs of the times, end quote. And, and I just felt like this is the original kind of concept of yoga as self-transformation written in this article was about, you know, just your yoga practice. But keeping that quote in mind, I think it it also is a, a really relevant process for becoming a teacher and doing trainings. We were talking about how this article, both of us in our separate teacher trainings, had the Xeroxed copy of this article, you know, in the binder of our of our original teacher trainings and whether or not you also had the original Xerox article, for sure your teachers or your teachers' teachers have been influenced by this article. Yeah, for sure. It really is it encompasses uh I would say late twentieth century yoga and the approach. Yeah. Um before we get into the physical and the mental 
layers or, or kind of points that we want to go through about how teacher training can be so transformative. I, I want to throw something, one more thing out, and then we can go into those, which is that so many people that join teacher training programs join them because they love yoga, not just because they're interested in career training. And, and this has been something that's always been interesting to me. I would say, I don't know the exact number, but I would say about half to slightly over half of the students that join trainings very explicitly want to be teachers or at least want to be teachers part-time. But somewhere between, I don't know, 30 and 50% of everyone, of every training I've ever taught, about 30 to 50% of the students, they just want to learn more. And they want to learn more in a structured and cohesive environment. And for so many people, yoga is just the place where they feel grounded, they feel comforted, they feel inspired. And just to be honest, it's just a place that they want to spend more time. Mm -hmm. And and so for so many people that are considering doing a training, you don't have to necessarily want to be a yoga teacher or a full-time yoga teacher. This might be just an environment where you feel really passionate about the subject and the practice. And you want to join it. And and to me, this is almost this first transformational step, which is committing yourself and immersing yourself into something that you really love and Mm -hmm. that you really care about and that you want to learn more about and you want to grow. Yoga is so impactful for so many of us. So wanting to soak yourself a little bit more deeper into that subject matter is 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 a big transformation in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a big first step. And as you said, I mean, I was a person that thought I would teach after I did teacher training, but I wasn't sure. And I did teach part-time and I dabbled. So ultimately, I didn't become a yoga teacher, but it definitely set me on the path that of like my life's work and my life's purpose. So you you kind of never know where it's going to lead you yeah. either. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I'm going to kind of prompt us through these points and there are six of them, correct? Yes. Okay. So we're going to start with the physical aspects. And the first one is you refine your techniques and deepen your personal practice. Yeah, I think this is, you know, I, I'm going to give an example, okay? And I, I've, I've given this example in other contexts, especially in trainings. But I want you to imagine that you read a book or even just like, imagine you read a chapter of a book, like 40 pages of a book. But imagine you read every single page, but not in order. You could still probably learn something. You could still make out something. And maybe you had some amazing sentences here and there. But because it's not in a cohesive, organized, linear progression, you're not going to really understand or enjoy it nearly as much as if you read that entire chapter in order. And so I think about this when it comes to trainings. When you're taking random classes, whether it's in-person drop-in classes or online classes or a combination, you're having hopefully really good segments of time. Like you're having a great 20-minute practice or 60-minute practice or 90-minute practice. But most of the time, our practices are not curriculum-based. And so essentially what's happening as a student is you're taking, you're reading many individual like good pages, Right. But when you do a training, you get to actually do 200 hours in a structured, linear, 
progressive order from beginning to middle to end. So you get to learn so much more about the postures, about the postural techniques. You get a much more in-depth understanding of individual postures and also how postures fit together. You get to understand, for me, when I teach, Austin and I teach a lot of understanding postures as families. So you have you have all of the backbends, but then you can subcategorize them as, oh, these are all the face-down backbends. Oh, these are all the kneeling backbends. Oh, all these are reclined backbends. Oh, these are all the inverted backbends. So you get to finally learn in a much more put-together Connect, dots cohesive, connected, yeah. cohesive way. And so the reality is you just learn a lot more. And, and you know, we're going to obviously asana is not the only thing involved in a teacher training program, but I think in a teacher training program, we get the best opportunity to really learn more and more in a methodical way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't have much to add to that one. That one's pretty straightforward and 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 it is yeah it is the thing most people initially look forward to there's one other thing about this this bullet point of learning more about postures poses techniques which is in at very least my teacher training not so much my 300 hour training in my 300 hour training we don't really do peer teaching but in my 200 hour training we do a lot of peer teaching and I, ha- I, I do it in this very progressive, structured format where everyone understands exactly what they're trying to do and we, we, we build this progression. But there's something that happens when you actually teach the thing where you learn the thing much more deeply. Mm-hmm. You learn the thing so much more deeply. Even if, even if you think, even if you think to yourself, oh, I, I've done, you know, thousands of sun salutations. I could teach one. If you've never taught one, just go stand and try to teach someone one. <laughs> You'd be like, oh my God, I've only, it's kind of like if you listened to a, a non-native language for years, but you never once spoke it. When you start trying to speak it, you start to realize, oh, there's a big gap here. And that big gap becomes an incredibly big opportunity to learn. So I strongly encourage, and there's always a, there's, I, I I'm very pragmatic, and if someone just does not want to do peer teaching, I figure out other things that they can do. But I really encourage people to join the peer group, the peer teaching sessions, because it's not just about you becoming a teacher. It's about you interfacing with the knowledge in a different way. I just want to add that you encourage people to do the peer teaching and you do it in small breakout room groups, and you give them very structured things to say and very structured ways to offer feedback. So it's not just like a personal- It is not a free-for-all. personal free-for-all feedback. So you, you have like really good guardrails and parameters that I wish I had had when I did a teacher training. I think maybe I would have ended up teaching a little bit more had I had those. Um, so I just wanted to add that so yeah. we don't scare people off. You work with groups of like two or three, for like two to three minutes. Mm. You know what I mean? Like ridiculously small, small increments, small doses. I understand this is a big leap and it can be really, really difficult. I am very introverted unless I'm on a podcast or teaching a yoga class. And so I understand the social, emotional or psycho emotional challenges of putting yourself in this position. So I, I make it so accessible. Right. Yeah. Start small. 
Okay, so the next point of physical transformation is you increase your attention, focus, and you learn more skillful breathing practices. As a yoga student, even if you have a teacher who includes some breath work, some pranayama, and some meditation, it's 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 likely that the pranayama and the meditation you do in class are at the beginning, the end, or the beginning and the end. So it's like bookmarks. And man, that's so much better than nothing. But in a training, you outside of a training, unless you also have a very developed, dedicated sitting practice, in, in just normal yoga classes, it can be very difficult to have a dedicated, longer meditation period and pranayama period or a restorative period. And so in teacher training programs, or at least I, I should, I'll just refer to my teacher training program, but this is mostly the case for most, most training programs. You're going to have the opportunity to have dedicated meditation practices, pranayama practices, restorative practices, and yoga nidra practices. So even though I am a vinyasa-based teacher, and I, I teach vinyasa-based yoga in my trainings, I also teach the broader practices of hatha, and I want to make sure that my students really get to go deep and have many 15 to 20-minute meditations, many 15 to 20-minute breathing practices, many 15 to 20-minute guided shavasanas, because these are these are such important elements of our practice, and they build so much subtlety, they build so much focus, they build so much attention, and they they build so much, I think, appreciation for the softer, subtler components of our practice. And the reality is, these things, I think, often need their own environments mm -hmm. because they're very difficult to include in a in a complete way in just a general class. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, these components, I think, are the the secret sauce for anyone who is really, really interested in the deeper aspects of yoga, um, along with the, the philosophy. Because, like you said, you need more time and more space and more guidance to learn these techniques. It's really... They, they require some skillfulness. They require creativity to figure out what works for you. And some of the meditations will work and some of them won't. And some of the, and you'll naturally be drawn to one breathing technique over the other. And you'll be able to take what works for you and work with your own nervous system afterward, which is so necessary for having, for just navigating modern life. Um, and it's so healthy for us to yeah. have these tools. Yeah, and, I, and I'll be the first person to say, look, if you study with me on GLOW or in any other context, I talk a lot about active practices, strength, length, end range engagement, isometric strength, passive range of like, And I value all of these things. Also, from a physical, mental, and emotional place, these yoga practices are rooted in the cultivation of quietness and stillness. Mm -hmm. They just are. Mm -hmm. And and yes, or, am I trying to communicate that in a thirty minute drop in class? Yeah, I am. But I, but it's it's actually harder to teach subtle things. 
And I feel like subtle things and things that really facilitate this quietness, they need their own practice. They need their own time. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really difficult. I, I think this is something that that hopefully all the existing yoga teachers out there, we can have a moment of, of uh, compassion and empathy for each other. It's really difficult because we always feel like as a teacher, we're trying to get a little bit of everything in, right? And that that's fine. I'm very functional and pragmatic, but when we try to make like, you know, eight minutes to, you know, transform your life and do every yoga pose ever and learn everything there is to know, it's inevitable that some of the quieter things, they either get pushed to the side or they're so brief they don't have time to develop. And it takes time to develop a quiet practice. And I, that, that's where I think that really having dedicated time towards those ends is, is really important, even if that isn't your first impulse. Mm-hmm. Even if your first impulse is, I want to do more and bigger and harder, I understand that and, and that exists in trainings. But, but when we're advancing in a practice, in a yoga practice, we are also advancing in the direction of subtlety and quietness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. That's well said. Okay. The next point is you'll develop a deeper appreciation for embodiment. I, if I were to look at myself from the outside, or not from the outside, if I were to look at myself from the way from like a very surface level, I would think I don't really have many body issues, you know? But if I were to unpack that a little bit deeper, I'd be like, oh no, they're they're there, right? They're there. And the reason I bring this up is I think most all of us have little petty things that we like and don't like about ourselves. We have little vanities that we like and don't like. And so a lot of times our inner narrative with our body is very picky. Yeah, right? at, the, at the very least, in a <laughs> yeah, best yeah, case yeah. scenario, yeah, in a best, best case scenario, best we're case picky. Scenario, right? In a worst case scenario, we're a little loathsome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm not going to say, do my teacher training and you'll love your body forever. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to say that. It's, it's, so, it's so densely packed. But, but what I do want to get to is, when it comes to teaching anatomy and trainings, and when it comes to teaching injury management and trainings, neither of which are fear-based, when I teach anatomy and injury management, my first priority is that we start to be more objective and more appreciative of the body we have. Because when we start to actually understand even just the bones and the ligaments of the foot, it's unbelievable. Like the functionality and the evolution or the intelligent design, whatever your belief system is, but how one part of the body works is a masterclass in profound engineering. And that's not even the physiology of the body and the physiology of breathing and the anatomy of breathing. Like when I, over the years, as I have dedicated myself to learning more about the experience of embodiment, not the psycho-emotional relationship we have to the body, the more I'm like, it's just mind-blowingly amazing. Yeah. And I, I've, always liked, I've always liked things done well, whether it's like a car, whether it's a home, or whether it's art. Like, I like something done well. And when we, when we look at the evolution of the body, it is unfathomably awesome. And I don't feel like 
we can do the anatomy the way that I do it without coming away with just a deeper appreciation, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? And the, there's a lot of facts and details and this and that to learn, but that's not my start. My, my start is really like, let's take a bird's eye view of, of functional anatomy and why things are the way things are. And I don't think, I don't think you can look at this body and not just be in awe of it. Right. This is a really big deal. Yeah. That's a really, really big deal. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a different appreciation than any other place in your life where you're usually like driving your body or trying to get it to behave or trying to get it to perform when you're just taking a step back and observing it really meticulously. It, it's kind of like your own nature documentary, you know? I mean, totally. Most, I don't know anybody who, who in, in yoga teacher training who isn't in love with the anatomy components. Yeah, you did yours with T.S. I did, right? I did. It was really poetic. Yes. Like mo- mo- more um, image-based image and poetry-based. I think more so than me and even more like body as like sacred, hallowed grounds, even sure. more so than me. He is a, he's an artist and a scientist yeah. sort of yeah. all wrapped up, but- but I think regardless, just like I said, looking it's like looking under the hood and being like, oh, okay, I'm not even identifying like this is how my body looks in this moment. Yeah. I'm looking at how it feels and how it functions. And like you said, you can go into that place of wonder and awe, which has been scientifically proven to be a very healthy practice yeah. is to to uh, cultivate wonder I, and awe. I also want to briefly link this to the injury management, which is I think when we when we look at yoga, injury prevention and injury management and we look at it in a much more informed way. What we're going to see is yoga doesn't usually present the kind of injuries that that uh, that like combat sports do or um, some other, I know yoga is not a sport, but in terms of the physicality of yoga, you're not likely to have impact-based injuries. You're not likely to have slip and fall injuries. You're not likely to have high velocity injuries. You're much more likely to have overuse injuries and I overstretched it injuries, right? Like you went too far or you did too much of a thing for too long without also doing the opposite of that thing. And the reason that I think this is important and and takes us into appreciation of embodiment is I think a lot of times we don't know why why our body hurts. We don't know why, why every time I do down dog does my shoulder hurt? Why every time do I do a back bend does my lower back hurt? And so on. When we start to have injury management, we start to understand, oh, this is how the shoulder actually is. Oh, this is how the lower back actually is. These are its components. This is how we stress it in these poses. So if you're having a trouble in the shoulder and down dog or the lower back and back bend, as an example, there's almost always an easy fix. There's a solution for it. So so my point on this is a lot of times we're hurting ourselves in the yoga practice because we just don't actually know how to adapt it to the uniqueness of our body. Mm. 
But when you understand injury management more and embodiment more, you start to be much more able to respond to poses that aren't working for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we can stop hurting ourselves just based on misunderstanding. Mm, okay. Yep. Okay. That's valuable. All right. So let's move on to the mental and emotional aspects of self-transformation. So the first is you learn philosophy, history, and you put your practice into a larger context. Let's start with the philosophy bit. We, we were talking about this. I think everyone has a teacher, maybe not all of your teachers, but I feel like everyone has a teacher that hints at there being more to yoga than down dog and triangle pose. There's more to down dog than the asanas. There's philosophy. Not only is there philosophy, but that we ha- we've also had that yoga teacher that says, Patanjali says, mm-hmm. or in the Upanishads, <laughs> or in the Bhagavad Gita, right? Or in, you know, uh, the Hatha Yoga Pradipika. We, it's almost like we get all these little hints and all these little teases that there's something behind the curtain. Like there's so much more. And there is. There's so much more than what we have access to in a drop-in class. But most of us don't know where to learn it. And like you could pick up a good book on yoga and that's a start. But there is so much to yoga philosophy, philosophies. There are so many different layers to and, and different philosophical belief systems and paradigms within the broader banner banner of yoga. There's so much to learn, but it's r- really far and few between where we can find a place to learn all this yoga philosophy. And so a lot of people join programs because they want to learn more about the philosophy. They want to learn more about the psychology. They want to learn more about the history. We get we get this tease of Ganesha, or we get this tease of Hanuman, or we get this tease of, you know, this pose is 4 billion light years old, right? But the point on this is, in these classes, we know there's more to learn, but there aren't many places to learn yoga philosophy, yoga history, and yoga contextualization outside of a training course. And so in a training course, we get to, we get to see, oh, there, there are so many more ingredients to this buffet. It's kind of like you paid for a buffet and then you just found out like, oh, there was another room. Like there's a whole nother room that you can have access to here. Um, and this is the place where we get to learn it and, and really appreciate the wisdom and the guidance that these, that these traditions can provide us. Yeah, and I think it's really important to have or – for most of us mere mortals, it's vital to have an interpreter. <laughs> yeah. Someone yeah. who has, you know, learned it from someone else and and has processed it and lived it and can apply it in a way that's relevant. So if you were to just read through all of these things on your own, I was saying in the webinar, it's a little bit like just reading Shakespeare. Like you can you can glean parts of it, but it's so much more helpful to learn Shakespeare with other people and with some guidance or to go and to watch people perform it who know it and understand the the pacing, iambic 
pentameter and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, so having guidance is is key for putting it all together. Yeah, and uh, two more t- tiny little bits on this, a bit about the history. If we're going to be a teacher of a subject, we have to, even if we don't, even if as a yoga teacher, you never say anything in any class ever about the history of yoga. If you're going to teach a thing and you're really passionate about a thing, it's really helpful to know a little bit more about the origins of that thing. Mm -hmm. I would say, especially in a modern context in which so many of us are modern Westerners learning from an ancient, an ancient Eastern subject, Mm -hmm. right? Or, and, and I think it's, I think it's our responsibility to understand much more about the origins and the roots of these traditions, which FYI, they're fascinating. Mm -hmm. Like just historically and intellectually, like this is really fascinating material. And then the last little bit is context. What I mean by this is I am a very modern teacher. I'm a very modern practitioner. Um, I believe in the evolution of technique and I am not sectarian and I believe in cross-pollination. All of that, all of that being said, I think it feels really important to me to know that I am a practitioner of something that has been practiced for a very long time. It, it's, it's valuable for me to feel like I am doing something that has a legacy behind it, Right. That it didn't just materialize, you know, on Instagram six years ago, right? That because I think so many of us, I think so many of us feel a little bit uh, debased and disconnected. I think so many of us kind of feel like a little bit free floating in this world, mm-hmm. and and so to feel like, oh, even if you are a little bit of a modernist, to have a deeper understanding and appreciation for the chain from which this practice comes, I, for me personally, it gives a, an important feeling of groundedness and connection in a, in a, in a continuum of practitioners. Right, to tradition, yeah. Okay, second to last point. Uh, you'll focus on self-inquiry, self-compassion, and self-knowledge. Something I've I, I've ref, I've referred to yoga as a subject, right? Because yoga is a subject matter. Um, it has a history. It has a philosophical set of underpinnings. It has many different practices that go with it. But all of those things being said, the real subject of the yoga practice is the person doing the practice. Like the real practitioner or the real subject is you. So as a yoga student, I I think we kind of get this understanding that we're listening, that we're paying attention to the sensations of our body. We're paying attention to the sensation of breathing. We're trying to understand our habits, our reactions, our responses. We're, We're trying to understand that movie that's playing inside of our head. But I feel like as a yoga teacher, when you learn philosophy, you get many more skills and much more context for understanding yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, like these, the the philosophical teachings of the yoga tradition have helped me understand myself better. They've helped me with self-study. They've helped me understand myself more. 
And in doing so, they've helped me generate more self-knowledge and more self-compassion, right? So not, not, I guess the point, the main point I want to make on this is we're not studying a subject matter that is entirely external to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're, we're studying a subject matter that helps us understand ourselves in this lifetime more. Mm-hmm. And I can't think of a more important thing to do personally. Yeah. I think also it all of these practices give you agency. So mm. I had this therapist in my 20s who used to say, get your needs met, get your needs met. And I was young enough that I didn't, I couldn't even unpack what he meant. I was like, what yeah. do you mean? I don't know what my needs are. And that is, I think a lot of us who are grow up compliant and people pleasers and um, do all the things we're supposed to do. We come into adulthood and we sort of feel like, well, what what do I need and who am I and what am I doing here and how do I want to be in the world? So so when you start with these practices, you know, self inquiry, trying to figure out who is who is the 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 self in there, and then self awareness, self acceptance, self compassion, like all of those things together give you this sense of agency to then like move into the world and and craft craft a life and a path that works for you. Absolutely. Okay, and then our last point here is you will develop new skills and stretch your limits. Being an adult, I was thinking about this the other day. Being an adult for me is mostly easier than being a kid for me. Being a kid for me was hard <laughs> me because too. I was always this very introspective, kind of awkward person. And it's not like I had a bad childhood. I had a good childhood. But internally, uh, internally, I've gotten happier as I've gotten older because I've understood myself better. And I'm better at, at managing the complexity of who I am. Now, all of that being said, as an adult, it's easy to stop learning. It's easy to stop learning new subjects. It's easy to get in your own echo chamber. I mean, we see this even more so with media and so forth. Like you can pretty much as an adult exclude the vast majority of the world and stop learning, stop growing, be functional, like get the bills paid, but not not really continue to grow in any kind of intellectual or emotional way. And I don't encourage it. <laughs> um, and, and as a yoga student, you're learning about yoga, which is great. As a yoga teacher, you're continuing to learn more about yoga. Like, like I said a moment ago, when you're, especially when you're in training, you're learning history, you're learning philosophy, you're learning communication skills, you're learning how to engage with others and to be more compassionate and empathetic. You're learning about content creation. You're, you're just, whether, whether you decide you want to use those things or not is kind of beyond the point. By being in a teacher training, you're putting yourself in the hot seat of continuing to learn and grow and, and kind of stretch your limits. And I said earlier that, you know, most people don't, don't, don't know me outside of being a yoga teacher. And you know what you see, the, the way you think you know me, uh, if you take classes with me, like that is me, 100%, <laughs> that is me. 
But in terms of my personality, if I'm in a group and I have a role, I can rise to that role and do it. But if I'm in a group and I don't have a role, I can blend into the paint on the wall better than anyone. I am unbelievably introverted unless I'm doing my job. But before I became a yoga teacher, I had no environment in which I had this extroversion. I had no environment in which I could kind of step into a little bit more of the light, right? Mm -hmm. And so there are whole aspects of me and my personality that I didn't know existed and certainly had no opportunity to show themselves before I became a teacher, right? And so this is just this is just one example. You were kind of saying earlier that, or not kind of saying, you, you did say earlier that you didn't, you did a training and it was really useful to you in your life and you enjoyed it, but you didn't ultimately become a teacher, but it also opened the doors to doing other things so you never quite know. In, and that's kind of where I'm going with this is you never quite know where life will take you, especially when you keep opening doors. Yeah, that's you really know, true. You, that's and, really and, true. And if you don't, man, life, it, it just gets very, as an adult, it can be very stuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, very stuck. Yeah, you have to keep practicing putting yourself in situations where you might be a little bit uncomfortable, but you're moving toward growth. And you have to keep practicing being okay with being uncomfortable in order to do that. Otherwise, like you said, your world can get very, very small. Yeah. And and that that's that smallness usually is not optimal for human flourishing and happiness and and connection and contentment. So I'm with you. Yeah. Okay. Well, do you wanna do you wanna wrap us up here? Yeah, I will just say again. You know, for those of you that have no interest in training, who are just students and and who are you know, happy being a yoga practitioner, I I'm certain there's some things in this conversation where, you know, hopefully it'll inspire you, even if it's not a training to to learn and grow in a different way. You know what I mean? Like if there's something in the back of your mind, like, oh, I really love cooking and I, I'm gonna take a cooking class, like do something if it is a reasonable thing in your life to help you continue to grow and expand the dimensions of who you are. Those of you that are already teachers who don't have any interest in coming back and doing any additional training, hopefully you can, if you teach your own trainings, pass on some of this wisdom, pass on your own, but also pass on some of this. And and hopefully this gives you some opportunity to reminisce at least about the best parts of your the training. And then for those of you that are thinking that you want to learn more about the subject of yoga by doing a training, whether you want to teach or not, I think this is a really good opportunity for you. And then those of you that do think that you want it as career training, it's also an exceptional opportunity for you. So uh, I'll leave it at that. Okay. All right. Thanks so much, Jason. If you are listening out there and you would like more information about Jason's upcoming 200-hour teacher training, you can go to learn.jasonyoga.com slash 200. If you want to just be in touch with us and and get our regular newsletters, you can hop on our list at jasonyoga.com slash newsletter. We so appreciate your listening and your reviews and ratings. We 
see all of them. They really help the podcast so much. So thanks in advance for doing that. And until next week, enjoy your practice. Enjoy your practice.